the second reading today, St. Paul makes this really clear distinction between living by the flesh and living by the spirit. And usually, and this is a fair interpretation, but usually we stop with living by the flesh means sin and living by the spirit means living a good life, doing good. Um, but it's not necessarily as clear as just good over here and bad over there. Um, we can do good, we can avoid sin, we can observe the commandments and still be living in the flesh. Okay, so I wanna, I wanna like, take us a little deeper into this to explain that. The, the, the basic distinction between living in the flesh and the spirit ends up being who calls the shots? Who, who is in charge of, of my life and how I live? So um, probably, all, no, I won't say all, probably most of us, I don't know, maybe all, but probably most of us want to do good in the world. I just don't want to presume, you know, there might be some, some evildoers among us, I don't know. Uh, <clears throat> but for those of us who want to do good in the world, usually our approach is we see some sort of need, some sort of problem, and we say, I'm going to take this upon myself. And then we make a plan. And maybe we get some people on our team, and then we go and do it. We take this weight and responsibility upon ourselves, and we bear it. We brave difficulties. And then at the end, best case scenario, is we do, we have done what we aimed to do. And there is some good done. And that's great. However, this, what we just described, is living according to the flesh. And it's because our biggest and best plans are so little, because we are so little. We're limited in all kinds of ways. We're limited by time, we're limited by things in our lives, by money, by distance, all these sorts of things. And most importantly, we're limited by ability, okay? Because if you set out to do something good and then you break your leg and you're stuck in bed and healing and everything, then that good is not gonna be done. So, so we have these uh, serious limits when we live according to the flesh. So I hope that hearing this, you're very dissatisfied by the good, even the greatest good that you are capable of. I hope that you say, it's too little and I want more. Living according to the Spirit. We talked about this a little bit last week when we, we got into the fact that discipleship is not so much me letting Jesus into my life, but Jesus calling us into his life and us handing ourselves, our, lives, our, our lives, our plans over and entering into his life and plans because he rules over all. He is unlimited by space or time or, or abilities or anything like that or resources. And he's the one with the master plan for good, for the salvation of the world. So it's important that we enter into his work because you know how this can happen. Uh, any, any, any big job, any project, there's some sort of understood plan. We all gotta be on the same page. Maybe there's a foreman, somebody who's directing the work. But um, for example, you know, like I think it, you can see it in like, like youth service projects. You say, okay, we're gonna paint this house and let's go at it. And so mostly it's going great and everybody's got their heart in it and it's a hot day, but we're braving it. And then you come around the corner of the house and there's somebody over there and they have put all their heart and soul into painting this wall, but they did it wrong. And you say, man, I see how hard you worked on this, but it has to be redone. It's all, it's all wrong and we have to paint it again. This is like uh, a collision of people with good intentions. Everybody that day set out and say, we're gonna do something good, but then there's these collisions that happen, okay? Um, here's some other things to kind of clarify this. Mother Teresa said that, she said, I am the pencil in the hand of God. Okay, the pencil does not choose what it writes, but the hand does, the hand of God does. So she said, I will not write the story of my own life, but the Lord is calling the shots. 
and he will direct me, and that is what will end up being written. Here's another example. This is from a, a class in the seminary. We got, we got classes for almost everything. And um, so in our confession class in, in your last years of seminary, it's, um, it's one of the most fun ones because there's a lot of practice. So one day you get to play the priest, and the other seminarians are the, the penitents. Other days you switch. But sometimes <clears throat> if, you're, if your buddy is the priest that day and you're the penitent, then you just come up with some sort of crazy scenario. You bring it up to him like, Give me some advice, Father, come on. You try and stump him. But in this class, uh, one priest who, he's, he's very good, very holy, I admire him a lot. He gave us this advice. He said, when you go into the confessional, do not be compassionate to sinners. And we said, what? That's not what I understood. But he said, here's the problem. Your compassion is too small. It will not change hearts. It's not what people need. And if you give them your compassion... You give them nothing. So he said, before you go into the confessional, recognize and insert yourself into the overflowing river of compassion that comes from the heart of Jesus for sinners. Enter into that, into his mercy, and then go into the confessional. Because it's Jesus' mercy and his compassion and his work that can change hearts and change the world. And ours is too small. Okay, so is this, is this image coming, coming through clear? Are you following this? We insert ourselves into the life and work of Jesus, and we don't work independently. We let him call the shots. If we do this, if we live by the Spirit in this way, then rather being limited by our own perspective or abilities or even imagination, our lives can bear more fruit, can, be, can, can do more good than we can know or plan for or even hope for. The limits are taken off. And we can go where we could never go before. Okay, so for example, St. Peter in the boat. There's a storm with the other disciples. Jesus comes walking across the water to them. And Jesus calls Peter out of the boat and onto the water. And St. Peter, because he's being obedient, he walks on the water towards the Lord. He could never go there before. And now he is able to. If St. Peter said, I'm going to do something great for God, I'm going to walk across the water to serve people today, it would never happen. But when we insert ourselves into the Lord and his mission, then the limits are taken off and we can go where we could never go before. The other thing, and the wonderful thing about living life by the Spirit in this way, is that everything is part of this great work and nothing is wasted. It's, we, we don't serve God just when we're serving God. We don't serve God just when we're doing churchy things or good things or something. We serve God with our whole lives and nothing is wasted. So how we do this is what we heard about in the gospel today. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know that the yoke is this thing that goes upon, you know, oxen, oxes, shoulders, um, wood or, or metal, but it's meant to pull something, either a plow or a cart or something like that. So Jesus says, don't go and make your own yoke. Don't pick up a burden and try to carry it because you think it's a good thing. He says, I have, I have a place in the yoke that I am carrying for you. So take my yoke upon you and be joined to me rather than make your own. It takes some sacrifice to do this because we don't get to choose where we go anymore. Where Jesus is pulling this, that's where we will go. And pull, we'll, we'll be pulling what he pulls and nothing else. So we might say, well, shouldn't we, shouldn't we plow that field? Or shouldn't we pull that cart? And Jesus will say, no, we're right here, and this is what we're doing today. Now, this happens in two big ways. Okay, the first one is in our vocation. 
the way we serve God with our whole lives. So if you're not in your permanent vocation already, if you're not married or ordained or professed in religious life, and you're still discerning, then of course the first question is, Lord, what do you want me to do? Who do you want me to be? The danger here, okay, the thing that I want to warn you against is as you ask him, do not put limits on what he could call you to. I did this, and it didn't turn out too well. (laughs) I said to the Lord, I'll do whatever you want. I want to serve you, but don't mention priesthood because I can't do that. Could never do that. And so there was this very firm wall. So I'd go and listen for the Lord, and there would be silence, and I was getting all frustrated. And then it turned out, he said, well, like you, you handcuffed me. You said, I can't say the one thing that I will tell you. So what do you expect? You want me to say something else? So, like, you, you know how this story ends. So <laughs> if, you, if you ask the Lord, what do you want me to do? Who do you want me to be? Then don't, don't put any limits, okay? It'll be frightening. It'll be terrifying. But the Lord will call you to whatever he wants. If you're already in your vocation, you're married or you're a priest or, or, or a religious, um, you might be saying to yourself, well, here I am but I never asked the Lord whether this is what he wanted from me. Okay, you don't have to be afraid. It's not, it's not too late for you at all. The point is wherever you are right now, we hand ourselves over to him. We take his yoke upon our shoulders and we give our whole lives to him. So it's not too late. It's not too late to serve the Lord in your vocation. So the vocation is the first one, but the second one is just very routine, ordinary, daily things, okay? When we go to mass, when we pray each day, when we read scripture, when we make little sacrifices, when we endure patiently the suffering that we have, when we in very small ways witness to the Lord, what we do is we accept the yoke that he's put on our shoulders and it ends up bearing great fruit. It ends up being something powerful and wonderful for the salvation of the world. Now here's just one more thing to sort of drive this point home. Here's, a, here's an image. In the first reading we heard about the king who is Jesus, who is meek and comes to Jerusalem riding upon an ass. Where are we in the story? I was visiting the grave of a priest who died uh, two or three years ago, a priest from our diocese, and um, he's just like a wonderful priest that I admire a lot. On the front, you know, it says he's born and baptized and ordained and died, and then on the back of the tombstone, it says this line. It says, um, the master has need of him. And you say, wow, what a thing. Like, isn't that a beautiful thing to put on your gravestone? Like he's died and the Lord called him to himself and it says the master has need of him. But actually that's not what it's saying at all. You remember in the Gospels, at one point, Jesus, before entering Jerusalem, he says to the disciples, go into the city and you'll find a man who has a donkey. Tell him that I need the donkey. Tell him that the master has need of him. Then bring the donkey back, and I will ride it into Jerusalem. So this priest on his tombstone, what he says is, I am the donkey. I have borne the Lord, but this is like my glory, that I have been the donkey that the Lord rides into Jerusalem on. This is not like a small thing. This is a glorious vocation to be the instrument of the Lord's glorious entrance. So where are we in the first reading? Hopefully, like our great glory, our great vocation is to be the donkey in the first reading that the king of peace rides into his city on. I want to give you just these, these few warnings, okay? If you want to live life by the Spirit, understand that this is what is coming your way. The first thing is that what you do, what you will be called to, will not always look very important. Probably it won't look very important to you. 
This is why the church has always taught there are two most powerful groups in the church. Do you know what they are? You don't have to raise your hand. But what would you say those are? The two most powerful groups in the church. The first one are the religious who have dedicated themselves entirely to prayer and do nothing else. Okay, we have this monastery in Ada of Carmelite Sisters. They never leave the property. They're cloistered. Their entire day, their entire life is dedicated to, to, to prayer for all of us and, and worshiping God. Okay, they're the first most powerful group in the church. The second group, you never guess, but it's those who are helpless, those who maybe have broken their leg and are stuck in bed, those who are on, uh, on their deathbed or in the hospital or on hospice or whatever, who can do no active work and who can only give the Lord their every breath. This is the second most powerful group in the church. They are the ones that have nothing except the yoke that Jesus has given them, and they pull it with all their might. So the first thing is that it's not always going to look important what you do. The second thing is that it won't always look possible what the Lord calls you to. You can, you can think of your own examples of this. But like St. Peter, if the Lord calls, then we will go. Mother Teresa is the one who said, I have not been called to be successful. I have been called to be faithful. So I will do what he tells me. The third thing, and this is a hard thing, is that usually the fruitfulness of our lives in the Spirit will not be seen until the end. Okay, so we pray today for the whole world, for example, at Mass. Our prayers, we don't know how they benefit the world. They could be benefiting Christians in Iraq or, or helping with peace in Nigeria or whatever. Or they can be helping your neighbor and the, and the difficulty and grief that that person is going through. We pray for the whole world. We offer ourselves as a as sacrifice, pulling the yoke of Jesus, but mostly we will not see what this work has done until the very end, when you and I are dead and everything is revealed. We know that nothing is wasted, but also, and this is the good news, also sometimes because the Lord loves us and because he wants to encourage us, he will give us little glimpses. And so sometimes you'll see, I prayed for that person and something changed. St. Ther Therese of Lisieux, when she was young, she sort of adopted this, this guy. He was a murderer, he was convicted, and he was heading to his execution, and he refused to repent. And so she prayed for him every day. And weeks went by, and he showed no sign of repentance. And then the newspaper article arrived, and it said just before he went up to his execution, he asked for forgiveness. And he, he kissed a crucifix, and he asked the Lord for mercy. And she said, that one is mine. Thank you, Lord for showing me the fruit of my sacrifices and prayers. So sometimes we get to see it, but most of the time we see nothing. We pray in the Spirit, Holy Spirit, take my life and use me for purposes that I could never dream of. We have to pray this every day, though, because at the end of every day we have to say truthfully, I have taken it back for myself, and I've gone after my own purposes, and I thought I was smarter than you. But I know, Lord, that you know better than me, and I do not know how to serve you. So, here's the end. Rather than asking, what good can I do for God today? We want to be asking, what good will God do by my pulling the yoke today? What good will God do by my little prayers and my little witness and my little life and my little sacrifices?